0: Hey, theater people, Patrick here. I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who have listened to our newest podcast, Broadway Backstory. For those of you who don't know about it, Broadway Backstory is a documentary-style podcast that we're making in partnership with the amazing people at Today Ticks. Each episode of Broadway Backstory finds out how a show developed from an idea to a full Broadway production by getting the stories from the people who lived it. The first two episodes tell the incredible true backstory of In the Heights and features interviews with Lin-Manuel Miranda, director Tommy Cale, Alex Lacamoire, and a whole bunch of other fabulous and fascinating people. Episode three tells the backstory of Fun Home. Episode four tells the backstory of the 90s classic The Secret Garden. And episode five tells the backstory of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. And after the holidays, we'll be back with the last three episodes of season one, which gets the backstories of the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening, Legally Blonde, and Next to Normal. I am obsessed with this podcast, you guys. I love making it, and I'm so grateful for all the incredible feedback we're getting. You can find Broadway Backstory wherever you get your podcasts, or you can stream the show and check out the bonus content at todaytixcom Broadway Backstory. Okay, now to the show.
1: God damn, I gotta get on there.
0: Oh, the milk is gone. Welcome down. to the Theatre People Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. You guys, for today's episode, I got to venture backstage at Hamilton, where I got to hang out with the show's music director, arranger, and orchestrator, Mr. Alex Lackamore. I am obsessed with Lackamore, you guys. I sat next to him last year when I saw the off Broadway production of Dear Evan Hansen, where I heave sobbed through the entire thing, and he was such a gentleman. He pretended to not even notice me. Although it's now just occurring to me that he's Alex Lackamore, so he probably just didn't notice me. Anyway, as an orchestrator, arranger, and conductor, Alex has worked on so many of my favorite shows, including Wicked, 9 to 5, In the Heights, Hamilton, and now, of course, the brand new musical hit Dear Evan Hansen. When we met this summer, it was mostly to talk about Hamilton, but we spent a fair amount of time on the other shows as well. I am in love with this guy. Here's our conversation. Hi. Nice to meet you. Thank you for being on the Theater People podcast. Thank you
1: for having me. My
0: pleasure. Your office is so fancy. <laughs> Thank you very
1: much. And this is actually the same office I had uh, when In the Heights was running here. So so this is
0: like home for you. This is absolutely home for you. You spent like two-thirds of your adult life in this room. <laughs>
1: yeah, maybe <I'm in> more.
0: <laughs> so I was thinking, my first question was, I was looking at like what you do on this show, and I guess I knew it, but it's a lot of hats. So you are credited as arranger, orchestrator, musical director, conductor, and you play the keyboard during the show. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's true. All true. So my,
0: my question was, when you're at like a cocktail party and somebody doesn't know you and they're like, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that question? You know, I, I consider myself a music director first. And and at different points in my
1: life, I would have said different things. Like I would have first said, oh, I'm a piano player. I'm a keyboard player. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there are times when I was doing more, uh, um, you know, supervising or more orchestration and arranging whatever but i i think right now i consider myself especially for hamilton as a music director and when i introduce myself to people i'm like oh i'm the music director and orchestrator of the show because i'm really proud of that aspect of it so Uh i I try to try to fold both things together but uh, the md is is what i consider myself and what does that job concern exactly
0: like what do you like what's your
1: day-to-day well, uh, you know, the day-to-day now is different than the day-to-day when the show is first being put on its feet. Like, yeah. you know, the the typical music director job, you know, when the show is beginning is teaching the music to the cast and... Uh, uh, teaching the music to the band and, and calling rehearsals and scheduling rehearsals and kind of like managing the managerial stuff. Uh, my day to day now that the show's actually up and running is, you know, mostly conducting the show at night, but also having sessions with understudies um, and again, checking in on rehearsals, uh, watching and noting the show. So, you know, I, of the eight shows a week, I sometimes watch one of them and I sit by the soundboard with my laptop and I just watch the show and just take notes of things that I think can just be like tweaked or or improved and give notes to the sound guy all that kind of stuff so it's it 's a lot of like maintaining
0: what this might be a, a good time to tell you a, like a sort of embarrassing story so I went to see um dear Evan Hansen when it was still in previews, and somehow by like the grace of God or what i was you and I shared an armrest oh that 's right yeah it was so horrifyingly embarrassing because <laughs> i 'm such a big fan and I was like sobbing, like, hysterically throughout the entire show. And I was like, and I tweeted about it, and then people were tweeting at you to say hi, and I was like, oh my god, Alice Lockhart, don't look at your phone during intermission, oh my god, please. And thank god you were so busy, you did not get a chance to do that. But then at the end, finally, you, like, put your pad down, and you wiped away a tear, and I was like, okay. I feel a little bit better. But yeah, so that's, like, part of your job, is to, like, watch the show, and just, like, make sure that it's still in, like, running order.
1: Uh, Yeah, just kind of, like, you know,
0: over time, things in the
1: show can kind of shift a little bit. And, you notice things now that you might not have noticed eight months ago. I'm like, oh, you know, here's a little rhythm that can be like a little tightened or here's like a part in the band orchestration that could be just played a little bit louder if you just asked a violinist to bring it out a little bit. So things like that kind of shift. And the same thing might happen when we have an understudy performing or or when we have a substitute musician playing. Things just kind of like shift a little bit. It's just the natural progression of the show for things to kind of like bend and flow a little bit. So yeah, the the job is to kind of maintain and try to uphold uh, the show that we set when we designed it.
0: Yeah. So obviously, you have a long standing relationship with Lynn. When did you first hear the music of Hamilton? The first time I heard Hamilton was actually in this room. Oh my God, really? Not
1: joking. Yeah. Lynn Manuel came in and he said, Hey, I've got this idea. <laughs> and he's like, Here's the first song. And uh, he sat at the piano and showed me, like, you know, the opening four, eight notes or whatever it is of the opening figure of the show. And he had a lyric sheet, and he's like, he wrapped it while I played it. He just kind of showed me what the basic framework of it was, and uh, and this is not what it was, you know. And l- not long after that, he got the invitation to perform at the White House, and he invited me to go along with him. And, you know, uh, instead of doing something from in the Heights, which they asked him to do, he thought, listen, this might be a great time to kind of just, like, premiere this thing that I've been working on, that he had been working on. So... That's uh,
0: that's how that happened. So so that happened during In the Heights, I'm assuming then.
1: Yeah, In the Heights was still running. Like he uh went away on vacation sometime during the Heights okay. run. But yeah, it happened sometime before he had left, I'm pretty sure. Because uh, he left like in January of 2009, I believe. No, March of 2009.
0: So yeah, just right around then is, is when he came in here. Yeah. And when you hear something like that for the first time, is it – Is he asking you, like, he's like, I want to play this to you because you're one of my favorite people and I respect your opinion. Or is he saying, I want your feedback? And if he is asking that, like, do you immediately know that you have something to contribute to that?
1: You know, it's, um,
0: that's a great question.
1: Most of the time, Lin is just so excited to share what he's written he's just like hey look at this and which is wonderful like I I love that I'm one of the first people that gets to hear something for the show so it's a little bit of that and you know I I don't offer advice unless that it is what he's looking for because that's just the way it should be with anyone when they create something I think it's all about listen I've uh, uh, you know it takes a lot of uh, vulnerability you know you expose yourself a lot when you show something you've written so unless you're looking for that kind of feedback you know it's best to not uh, give it so it depends when it is like if we're in a work session and what he's asking. what do we do now absolutely i'll I'll offer that but i remember at the time it was just like hey this is what it is and he was just coming in just to show me what it was
0: so god that is so and so how did it evolve i mean were you involved in the process of him like would he then write more songs and play them for you and then did it become less of a i want you to hear this cool thing that i'm doing and more of a like wait this might be a real thing that we're gonna work on together oh you know it's funny uh, um I don't remember if there was ever
1: a day that he said, hey, let's do this or like you're going to be the guy on this. There might have been. I don't remember. But it's been so long and we've been working on it for so long. I just always remember being a part of it. Um, I do remember when we were down in Atlanta working on Bring It On, the musical at the Alliance. Which
0: I love that musical so much. I can't even tell you.
1: Thank you very much. (laughs) We had a good time working on it. Um, And I remember that he had just finished writing You'll Be Back. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to make a demo of You'll Be Back. I think specifically because Stephen Sondheim, like he, Lynn wanted to show Stephen Sondheim the song. So I remember, again, that was one of those songs where uh, you know there was no demo for it. It was just a lyric sheet, and Lynn kind of showed me what the chords were. And we probably took maybe like all of 10 minutes to just kind of figure out the the feel and, and the vibe of it and, and like, you know, it was so clearly like a pop Beatles-esque kind of song that the arrangement kind of just like wrote itself. So I think the earliest demo of that is in a rehearsal room down in Atlanta and most of the hits and the breaks and
0: the fills in that demo are still in the song to this day. So... That's so interesting. So just from like a, so as for like a layman like me, who doesn't necessarily understand how like you great artists all sort of like collaborate together and and this show pops out. How did it become more of a concrete, okay, I'm working on this now. This is going to become like a show that we're going to, that is going to get produced. You know, a a lot of it has to do with
1: Tommy Kale, our director, really kind of seeing that there was something there. And, uh, you know, Lynn wrote my shot Uh, Sorry, Lynn wrote uh, Alexander Hamilton, the opening number, and we performed that at the White House. And it took him like a year to write my shot just because it took a long time for him to craft it and to get it right, to make sure that all the rhymes were as good as he wanted them to be, to make sure that it really um, captured something. So, you know, the joke goes that uh, Tommy said to Lynn, listen, you know, you're writing one song a year. It's going to take you forever to do something. (laughs) If you really try to like put your efforts into it, then you can come up with, with something. And at the time, I think We still weren't sure if it was a show. You know, Lynn originally conceived Hamilton to be a mixtape, a a concept album, in the way that Jesus Christ Superstar was a concept album, in the way that Evita was a concept album before it was a show. So, um, you know, I I think it was the help of Tommy realizing that he just needed to kind of say to Lynn, hey, let's do something. Let's, like, find uh, some dates in the calendar to, like, have goals, like, let's try to have, like, some of the show, most of the show written by this date, let's have, like, act one finished by that date, let's have a reading here. So, uh, you know, a lot of that, uh, you know, getting the fire started was, was our director.
0: That is so interesting to hear, because I think a lot of people who do creative stuff but aren't quite at your level uh, do that, you know, like, they say, like, we have lives, We're, do we work, we have things we need to do, let's, like, set dates, and let's, like, get things done, but it's so, you know, we... It, this might be weird for you to hear, but we like. I think that people in general think of you guys as like the the great artists of our time. So it's really interesting to know that you guys live like normal humans, <laughs> and like create like normal humans. You know, uh, you're very kind. Yeah,
1: you know, it's it's uh, there was a great quote I've heard once that's like, if it weren't for deadlines, nothing would ever get done. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> so it's really all just about uh, you know it, that kind of pressure is I think healthy and I know that Lynn especially like he, he thrives on that kind of pressure like knowing that he's got to finish the song by tomorrow like that thing will come out just in the nick of time yeah. And,
0: yeah so when it comes to like you guys are you know you guys are gearing up for your workshop and then you're gearing up for your um, you know your run at the public and you are can you talk a little bit about the process of like finding your cast and then like um, and then teaching them this music we've we've had the great privilege of having Lynn and Philippa and Renee have all been guests on the podcast and we've heard a, heard a little bit of their perspective but from your point of view how do you most of the people that you guys worked with were asked to be in the production is that right Uh, yeah I don't know Uh, I remember a lot of
1: them had done readings with us in the past so we'd kind of like gotten familiar with you know uh, uh, certain people and certain people just like part of the family so we know them like someone like Chris Jackson for example you know it was always in Lynn's head that he would be George Washington that was always just like a done deal it was never a question (laughs) Um, so yeah it's um, you know in terms of the actual teaching of it like you know I remember just having individual sessions with people and just like learning about them and learning about their voices and learning about how it fits on the material and you know you make different decisions about music once you hear other people uh, do your stuff you know it's a different kind of thing to just be at home, for example, and just working at your home studio, and just making a demo, or just writing words on a word processor, and, or, and and then when you actually hear those words spoken by someone else, hear those notes sung by someone else, you hear it in a different way, and you make other decisions, and you make other tweaks based on that. But it's this—that's a really thrilling piece of it—is to hear other people interpret something that you've done. You know, I know especially for me as an orchestrator, you know, I sit in a room and and put notes on a computer about how I think something should sound so when you actually get a live bass player a live string section and whatever to play something you've written that's when you know the colors start flying and that's when
0: you start feeling really you know you get jazzed by that yeah yeah I was reading something that you were saying about the journey of the song The Skylar Sisters about how like you. well maybe you can talk about it can you talk a little bit I think it, it illustrates sort of like what you do and how impactful your work is on a, on a show so can you talk a little bit about that? the journey of that song yeah of course Um, So Lynn's
1: original demo for the Skylar Sisters had a particular drum loop that is uh, not quite as syncopated as the way we know the Skylar Sisters today on the cast album. It was a little funkier and just a little bit more uh, closer to the downbeats, That's the best way I can describe it. And then... Instead of like all of these crazy vocal harmonies around it, it you know, there were more like instrumental breaks. Like instead of girls singing whoa whoa, like the band would play like like these kind of like Stevie Wonder esque kind of licks in between. So it was a very different feeling song, and that was the version that we did at the the public. And yeah, and so those who saw it at the public like actually got to hear like the old arrangement of the Skylar Sisters. You know, in the end, the orchestration was the best. adjectives I had heard to describe it were kind of very kind of daft punky There's a little kind of Pharrell in there it was was a little kind of throwbacky and then Tommy Kale had said listen you know that's an arrangement where I feel like and he said to me he said Lack that arrangement doesn't sound like you he said something about it feels like it needs a little something more and then that was uh, the summer in between Off-Broadway and Broadway I kind of like did a revamp and then I started to listen to more like Destiny's Child I started to listen to more um you know, just more. I, I was thinking of a more syncopated drum beat. So, and I got like a nod from like uh, the, the opening drum beat is like very Kanye as well. Like, there's a little bit of Gold Digger in there. So, I don't know. I, I just tried to go more uh, more drum centric with it. Had more fun and like had these interesting like little syncopations and all these pushes, and then we were also very inspired by the fact that our three actors Pippa Sue, Renee Goldsberry, Jasmine Cephas Jones, those three girls would just for fun just harmonize like backstage and make like cool little videos and vines of them just like harmonizing. So we realized, you know what? There's a lot of people saying that the Skylar Sisters feels like Destiny's Child, but it sure doesn't sound like it. So then we thought to ourselves, you know what? We need to like actually. Just capitalize on the fact that we've had these amazing girls that blend really well, who can do all these crazy runs. So then we started to like really add more vocal pyrotechnics to the show, to, to the song. So particularly like the end, the world like that ending was not there before. So um, yeah, that that's um, you know what's fun is that. In the process, like, I think I might have gone too far originally. Like, it was almost too syncopated, and there was like too much, like, uh, uh, the drums were just getting a little too, uh, drawing too much attention to themselves. So, we wound up kind of like finding this middle ground between what was at the public and what I had done in the the summer in between and came up with the version that we know now, which is kind of like the best of all possible worlds. So, that's a song that just, you know, under, it just went through phases. And it's one of those things where, again, you don't know until you actually see it. Like, without having seen everything else that was around it, like the other songs in the show, Scarlet Sisters, at the public might not have stood out as a a song that wasn't kind of meeting the level of meeting the the kind of, like, you know, special uh, sauce that the other songs had in their charts. So, it was a work in progress, definitely, but I'm really happy with what we ended up with in the
0: end. God, that's so interesting. One of the things that Philippa, I don't know her well enough to call her Pippa, I'm just gonna say Philippa, one of the things that she um, talked about was working with you on I cannot believe I'm gonna blank on the name of the song, but what's her big song? In uh, helpless. helpless, of course. Oh my god, what an idiot! She, my husband, as soon as the album came out, we both seen the show. But you know, it, like when you when you see a show without an album, it's you remember it. When like you like hearing the album is time, kind of like seeing the show again for the first time. And there's that run that she has in that. That my husband was oh my like, god. you need to come and listen to this right now. And I like, yeah, I ran. I was in the shower. I like, ran. I was like, what? what is it? What is it? And I was talking to her about, like, a- a how, that, how did that happen? And, and she was saying that you guys were just working on it. And, and that got me thinking, like, how do you, as, a, as an orchestrator and arranger and a musical director, how do you know how to push somebody to their absolute limit but still keep them in a place where they can – or they're doing music that they can sing eight times a week?
1: Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I hadn't worked with Pippo for very long. Before uh, we had to teach her that song. And I remember <laughs> saying to her, So, Pippa, you know, uh, uh, do you riff? Like, is that something you do? And she said, No, nah, not really. I'm like, Oh, so in my mind, I'm like, All right, here we go. We're going to have to figure out how to make this. And then she whips out that lick on her own. Like, OK, we're good. <laughs> no problem. So you had no
0: hand in that. She did that all on her own.
1: That particular run she'd come up with. Yeah. That That's was really, amazing. really fantastic. But, you know, uh, um, I do like to have a collaborative process in a moment like that when there is ad-libbing happening, when there's like straying from the melody. Like that whole last chunk, that was definitely something that people would contribute ideas that this is what I want to try singing and then I would either be like hey that was great what if we tried to sing it on this note instead of that note like even just adjusting one note out of the phrase or like let's use this word and let's repeat that word instead so it's something that I like to kind of it's fun because it's a little improvisatory and it kind of lets the actor bring something that they have to the table something that they feel comfortable doing and what I also love about that is that when we have new people coming into the show if they have a different approach that they want to have on those runs or a different lick that they'd like to try then it's fair game you know wow. as long as the intention is the same as long as it fits the moment and it feels similar you know in terms of what it's trying to do story-wise then like i'm all for people kind of adding their own spin to that kind of stuff so it was a similar thing with leslie for example the whole end of rumor where it happens was very much a, a collaborative thing where you know these were the licks that he was coming in and i would say to him hey leslie that's great but what if we tried the e-flat instead of the e-natural because the chord is changing at that moment he'd be like okay great and then he'd try it so it's one of those things where again i feel fortunate that like I can like give these little suggestions that kind
0: of like um, you know uh, make me feel like I'm, I'm like I'm contributing something. Yeah, on that front, I um I hadn't even been prepared to talk to you about this, but you know the song "Satisfied" of, of course is like I think I think like a game it's like a game changer like in storytelling I think and. Talking to Renee about it It ended up being kind of What her whole episode was about We just talked about It It was like a song exploder For like that song We just talked about it For like 40 minutes But she was talking about How she didn't know She literally said That she didn't know She'd be able to keep the job Because parts of that Were so emotional for her That it was hard for her To sing through it So that's another question When you're you're writing material And people are not just Trying to sing it But they're trying to Perform it Do you have any memory Of working with her On that song And how you guys Sort of got through that?
1: Wow, you know, I I do remember uh, in terms of memories uh, of her coming into the audition and just like delivering that rap section, just like she owned it. Like it was really amazing to hear an actor come in and like actually say those words at the rate at which they were written. So, this is what it feels like to match with someone at your level. What the hell is the catch? It's the feeling of freedom of seeing the light. It's Ben Franklin with the key and a kite. You see it right? The conversation lasted two minutes, maybe three minutes. He's flying by the seat of his pants. Handsome boy, does he know it? Beach fuzz, but he can't even grow it. I want to
0: take him far away from this place. Then a but also
1: emote them and act them at the rate at which it's happening. It was, a very, it was a very special thing to have someone just walk into the room and just own that song in the way that she did. Um, but, you know, it, it's, a, a, it's a work in progress always, I think. Um, you know, um, Yes, you want the actors to feel comfortable. You want them to feel supported. And you want them to feel like they can... Uh, that they are performing the music as opposed to to the music performing them. You know what I mean? Like that they are in control of it. So, you know, it's all about, I I think, you know, there are so many ways to skin a cat. That's what they say. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times it's good that you can be open-minded about what stuff can be. And what's great is that you can adjust notes if you need to, or you can, um, uh, you know, it's all about getting a feeling across. And what's great is that an actor's top note uh, might not be the same as another actor's top note but as long as that top note is sung at, like it feels like something's about to burst or feels like something's at the height of their passion then that feeling is coming across so what's important to me at the end of the day is that feeling so yeah. that is more important than like whatever note might be up on the scale that's more impressive like it's not about can they sing a G most of the time it's about can they make that moment feel like that's being fully expressed and that's really like something that's being wrung out of them and that, that's what you go for and that's what you
0: look for God, that is so, it's so incredible, it's so incredible that I get the opportunity to ask you that question, like, that that song was, I remember seeing, I remember seeing the show, and seeing that moment, and just, like, totally losing my mind.
1: Oh, it's, it's an amazing moment, yeah, yeah, I love that, and I was not prepared for it the first time I got watched it, as well, it's like, you know, you see it in rehearsals, and you're in a rehearsal room, and you don't have the turntable, you don't have all the props, you don't have the sets and the costumes, but... I remember watching a run through. And once I finally got to see what Andy Blankenbuehler had put together, I was like,
0: whoa. (laughs) Can I ask you a question about that music wise and on on, on the album? You know, the beginning of that song, at least on the album, it it sounds like a CD being played backwards. Mm -hmm. How do you when does Renee actually start singing? Oh, uh, on well, that is Renee's voice. First of all, singing. I remember that night. I just might yeah.
1: So we actually went into the studio and recorded that, and our brilliant sound designer, Nevin Steinberg, like he treated it to make it sound like a broken record and to make it sound kind of like. Very high endy, like you know, it was very like produced, which was very fun. But in the show, like she comes in on after. I remember that night. That's where she sings live.
0: So is that is that stuff in the show the 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 sound effect that he created for the album?
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's there.
0: God, that's amazing. That's all I have about Hamilton. I can't believe it. I could talk to you about it for like a million hours. But I wanna I'm desperate to talk about in the heights because I'm obsessed with it. Um, yeah, and I mean, I had the great fortune of getting to see it in the. Bookshop, I, like I, wow, yeah, crazy, right? Oh, it's cool. Yeah. When did you come on board? Like, how did you hear about In the Heights in the, the first place, and how did you get involved? Let's see. I came on board
1: in 2003, I think, or maybe 2004. And the way I got connected with those guys is um, through some actors that I knew grew, growing up in Miami. And they had performed in a version of "In the Heights." They might have been in the, uh, the version okay. that you saw in the bookshop. I don't know, but it was uh, Henry Garza and Janet Call. And they had said to Lin Manuel, um, "Listen, you should call Alex because he's a music director. He's an arranger. He's Cuban. He's from Miami. I think you guys would hit it off." And um, I remember being sent like a demo of "In the Heights," and I remember it was you know it was a cassette back in the day, I popped in the cassette and the first thing I heard was like the sound of someone playing like buckets Mm -hmm. and I heard like Lim Memo's voice rapping and right away, like within the first like 15 seconds, I'm like, whoa, this guy is like, A, really rapping and like B, like it's really like clever rhymes. It's like syncopated rhymes. Mm -hmm. They're like across the bar line. Like, you know, I feel like a lot of times uh, up until then, like whenever I had heard rap, being written for a musical theater, it was very kind of like straight and... Da, yeah. da 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 da, yeah. da 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 Sondheim. Yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's a different kind of uh, a thing. And here was Lynn kind of like sounding so like authentic and I just loved it. And um, so the, the story goes, and, and Tommy Kale loves to tell the story, is, you know, they were contacting me about working on a workshop in the Heights and I said to them, listen, you know, I can't right now. I love the demo, but I'm a little busy. I'm working on the show called Wicked and we're about to go to San Francisco and I'm going to get really busy with that. <laughs> and then Tommy in his mind was thinking to himself, to himself like, yeah, that show will run, whatever. Like we'll see a lack of more in a month. And uh, cut to, you know, uh, uh, later. And so um, it was around – I guess, like I said, 2003, 2004, you know, actually, I remember now, it was 2004, it was at, uh, around September, we started to kind of just like get together and have meetings, and you know, while I was performing Wicked, eight shows a week, I would have like, during the days, just, just like maybe a, a two-hour session once a week, where Lynn would bring in whatever song he had been working on, and it would be Lynn, it would be me, it would be Bill Sherman, uh, my co-orchestrator on that show, it would be uh, uh, Kiara Hudis, the book writer, and eventually Andy Blankenbuehler. But those were the days that Lin would just bring in like a fragment of 96,000. He would bring in a 11-page version of Paciencia y Fe, which got whittled down to the three-page version that we know now. So, you know, I, I uh, just feel lucky that I was there at the beginnings of all those songs and Got to hear them for the first time. Got to get my hands on them for the first time. And that was a very, very special time.
0: Was that before,
1: like, Kevin McCollum got involved? Uh, Kevin was already involved and Jill was already involved, but Jeffrey had not been yet. Not at the first – at the first reading that I did in December of '04, that was the first time Jeffrey Seller saw a production of – uh, a reading of In the Heights, and he signed on after that.
0: And then which of the cast that we know now was involved in that first reading with you guys?
1: Oh, wow. I believe Janet – no, shoot. I think she did the second reading. I think Andrea Burns was in that first reading. Um, my God, I don't remember it. I'd have to look in and see. Yeah. What, uh, Doreen Montavo was in that first reading. I do remember that. And Javi might have been in that first reading too. I can't remember. Wow. Because we did a bunch. I mean we did two readings at, at MTC. We did the O'Neill. Uh, we did like a, a workshop at the, the 37 Arts Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, there, was, there was a few phases. So they all kind of blur together yeah, for yeah. me.
0: How do you – what do you remember of, like, when – how did that, like, off-Broadway run come to be? Do you do you remember, like, knowing that it was going to go off-Broadway and that it was just going to be, like, a commercial run at that point? Um, you know, we didn't
1: know what was going to happen with Heights. Like, it was not a surefire thing that Heights was going to go to Broadway at any point. Like, and that's why I think – well, you know, there's a lot of love in In the Heights, period, full stop. <laughs> I know for me, like, there was a lot of love in it because I, there was no real goal in mind. Not for me, anyway. Like, I was just working on some cool-ass music with some cool-ass dudes. And whatever became of it was whatever it was going to be. Because, you know, you spend a lot of time working on readings that don't uh, get a production out of it. Mm-hmm. And you put a lot of work into making arrangements and having rehearsals for things that just kind of fizzle and, 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 and go away. So um, I was ready for that to have happened within the Heights. So there was no real definite surefire thing. And, you know, even when we got the reviews uh, off Broadway, you know, we could tell like that there was a love for the show. We could tell that there were people who were excited about what we needed, what we were doing. But, um, you know, it wasn't near until like the summer. Like we closed in July of 2007 and uh, we probably found out we were going to Broadway like in June of 2007. (laughs) So it wasn't, you know, it's uh, you spend we spent a good six months just like doing the show and hoping that there was a future.
0: And then this was your first real experience as like all of the credits that you're listed on for Hamilton, like being the orchestrator and the music director. And is that right? This was like the first time you were doing all of those things at once? Um,
1: Well, I I did Bat Boy in 2001. For that when I was a music director and orchestrator along with uh, Larry O'Keefe, the composer. And I I think I was billed as arranger on that as well. So, um, you know, so yeah, I would say Bat Boy was my first experience at like really being at the helm of of, uh, a music department. And I learned a lot doing that for sure.
0: Um, And then when you guys did open on, Broadway like and it was such an Interesting season it was such a Diverse season I I thought you know That was also the year that Passing Strange happened and I'm Curious how it was to be a Part of like a season that was Contributing so much like diverse Cultural music to the Broadway Landscape
1: you know it's um, it was just to be in any Broadway season is an honor. I do remember that one just being a fun one. And, uh, yeah, we were all just, like, so happy to be invited to be part of that crowd and be part of that group and just to be on Broadway and just celebrate what it was that we do. Like, it, that that never stops being amazing because <laughs> I felt very much the same way this year when, when Hamilton was invited to be to the Tonys. And, and so it's, um, you, know, um, you know, we're in this business where uh, – there is very much a sense of community and there's very much a, a love for what it is that we do and a a real awareness that like what we do is in this really tight uh little uh, like uh, radius of blocks you know what I mean like is not a big geographical location, so therefore everybody knows each other, everybody works together so the fact that we get to like play with our friends and and do stuff like that and have fun with it like that's uh, that is something that 's never lost on me yeah.
0: I wanted to end by talking about Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, um, how did you come to get involved with that project? Um, Justin Paul and Ben Spasik,
1: the, 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 the wonderful writers for that show, um, uh, the way it happened, the, the way I remember it happening was Justin coming to me and wanting to ask if I would be involved and he actually came to my apartment and did like the very old school like musical theater thing where you're like he didn't send me a demo he didn't send me a script he actually came to my apartment and sat at my piano and played the songs live for me it was just him and I it was so cool and I gotta say man right from the minute he started playing I'm like I'm sold Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that music is just so catchy just so well written those guys are just brilliant and they're really great at like writing a song that is extremely poppy extremely hooky and still extremely musical theater like in all the best possible ways so they're they're super talented and you know every song that he played for me that afternoon just like it it just hooked me and it were all it was all so smartly written so I I knew I wanted to be part of it just off of that and yeah I I gave Michael Greif a call and you know he knew I was being courted and (laughs) was uh, happy to have me so it it was was all just a a very kind of fun casual uh, invitation to be part of that show.
0: It's such a it's such a different show from Hamilton, you know. It's it's so um, I don't know I, I don't know. It's it's uh, they're obviously both so brilliant. It, are you looking forward to having like something to move on to? You know, it, um, yes. And, and what's wonderful is that the
1: act of creating, the act of putting up a new show, that's the most fun part for me. And uh, you know, I'm about to go into a new kind of phase of of my life in terms of having to supervise these multiple companies of Hamilton that are going to start cropping up. And that I'm very, very excited about. And, and uh, that's going to be a lot of traveling for me. That's going to be a lot of like, uh, administrating for me. and But it's not necessarily going to be as creative, quote unquote, because you know, the music is set. You know, the, the arrangements are done. The orchestrations are done. So it's about teaching the music and maintaining. So what I'm really excited about with Evan Hansen is that aspect of creating. And, um, you know, and that was really wonderful to have that kind of break
0: happen, to have something that I can kind of focus my creative energy into so i'm looking forward to doing that again yeah all right last question um you guys have just cast my old friend miguel cervantes Uh, i went to college with miguel i got to do like gypsy with miguel when i was in college how how did you land on that guy that's so exciting (laughs) he's wonderful you know
1: uh we just had an audition process and just you know miguel is, is just one of those guys that just like has the it factor you know he just came in and uh Delivered the material and had something really special and, and had something, uh, uh Really, quite wonderful to say on the material, and um, you know, we had some work sessions. We did some adjusting, did some tweaking, as you do in, in an audition process. But you know, it was just very clear that this was this was a guy who was seasoned. This was a guy who was like not afraid of the material, and uh, th- there's an ownership to it.
0: So, yeah, we just ended up with him because he's a talented dude who could do the role.
1: Yeah.
0: I, sorry. One last question, and the, the one the question is two words: Karen Olivo. Oh yeah. <laughs> Are you so excited to get to work with her again in this role that's going to be so great for her? Yeah, I am super, super excited. And, you know, it's... Amazing that Lynn seems to be like the
1: guy who can like get her to to perform <laughs> like she did tick tick boom you know what I mean like he yeah. he uh, he he's the guy that can get her out of Wisconsin <laughs> and it's really wonderful as a matter of fact that I'm gonna uh, you know meet with her very soon to start working on the material and uh, I, I'm really excited about it I'm really excited to hear her take on it and it'll be nice to just to be with friends you know yeah. she's um that again it's like is of utmost importance to me and that's why I do what I do like I do this to like to have fun you know <laughs> it's yeah, like exactly. I, I love what I do and you know
0: th- there's a reason they call it playing the piano it's yeah. play <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm excited Alex Ackermore thank you so much it's such an honor and a privilege to meet you and get to be in your office thanks for being on the podcast
1: thank you so much thanks for having me
0: talk to you later <laughs> Hey, theater people, just a reminder to check out our brand new documentary style podcast called Broadway Backstory to find out the incredible stories behind shows like In the Heights, Fun Home, Spelling Bee, Legally Blonde and Next to Normal. You can find Broadway Backstory any place you get your podcasts or you can stream the show and check out our bonus content at todaytix.com slash Broadway Backstory. Theater People is a product of theater podcast productions and is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. Mike edited this episode. Special thanks to Steve Tipton, Eric Emch, Keith Allen Herzog, Ricky Kondos, and our amazing Patreon associate producers Robbie Rosell and Ty Williams. We'll be back in two weeks with Dear Evan Hansen star Michael Park. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking.
1: Yeah, I'm a street light chilling. Some happy endings, some are bittersweet But I love them all and that's what makes my life complete And it's not me who keeps our legacies Who's gonna keep the coffee sweet with secret recipes Abuela, rest in peace, you live in my memories But somebody has gotta eat, this corner is my destiny Things up the best to me, we pass the test and we keep it pressing